uh, this morning. We're in the middle of a sermon series titled Grace Poured Out, and we're going to be in Romans 14 in just a little bit. Uh, for those of you that haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, I'm going to take just a few minutes to kind of bring you um, up to speed. So uh, the first week we started studying grace and, and we looked at what is grace. That way we all understand what we're talking about when we use the term grace. And grace is when God does good to us for something we don't deserve. It's undeserved favor. In other words, it's not like you were, you know, you were good for so many weeks and so God blessed you. But grace is when we entirely, completely did not deserve God's favor. But God gave it to us anyways because God is good and because God is a God of love. In week two, last week, we studied the truth that grace doesn't always look like what we think it would look like. When you hear that grace is God just being good to us, well, we studied last week that grace, sometimes it knocks us off of our high horse and that God confronts us and that sometimes it is the goodness of God that is very confrontational, like in your face, look yourself in the mirror, be honest about who you are, and turn from your wicked ways. That in God's goodness, sometimes he approaches us in a way that's confrontational. And we looked at the truth that grace changes us. Like God doesn't just confront us to make us feel small and make us feel stupid. God confronts us because he wants to change us. And God's grace, it transforms us. It changes the way that we are as people. As we're studying grace, what I want to do this week is kind of pause on the theme of God's grace poured out on us. And I want to look at what does God's grace look like through us. In other words, how can I be gracious to you? How can you be gracious to others? What does it look like to be Christians who show grace to other people. And in Romans 14, we're actually going to work all the way from Romans 14 through Romans 15, verse 7. And so Romans 14 is this probably the greatest systematic theological book in the New Testament, really possibly in the whole Bible. It, it, it works like this. In Romans chapter 1, we are told that all of the world is wicked, evil, and that even those who are not Christians, that they are without excuse for their wickedness. That the, the world, that even nature testifies to a certain God-given order, and men don't care. Men have gone after their own lust. Romans chapter 1, that's where you're going to find it. It says, men burned with passion for other men, that women left what was natural to be with other women. And it tells us that God gave them up to a reprobate mind. And so in Romans 1, it's like the world, the earth, you know, the, the Gentiles of the world, they, they are people that are wicked, but they are without excuse. And then you get to Romans 2, and it's like but the rest of the church is without excuse too. Romans 2 says, but you who think yourselves to be spiritual, you do the same things they do, but you're worse off because you know what God's Word says. 
and you still do what's wrong. And so the big conclusion in Romans 3 is, we're all hopeless. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and therefore, we're all in big trouble. And then in Romans chapter 4 is introduced God's answer to the trouble we're in. Romans 4 says that it's the blood of Jesus that brings us into justification with God. And then all of a sudden in Romans 5, we have this incredible statement that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So we go from being enemies of God, wicked, evil sinners, to all of a sudden we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. And then in Romans 6, we see it continues to build. But not only has God answer, have an answer for the things we've done, the wicked things we've done, but God has an answer for who we are. In Romans chapter 6, we see the old man. So it's not just that I've done wicked things. It's not just that I've created done sins. It's that I am a sinner. I don't just need God to forgive me for what I did. I need God to forgive me for what I am. And in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7, we see how God deals with the old man. And then in Romans chapter 8, the great big conclusion, that therefore we are now led by the Spirit of God, that the, all of creation groans for the, 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 the revealing of the sons of God, and that those of us who are safe in Christ Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Eight chapters to get to that point. And then the book begins to transition to, so what do we do about that, right? What does that mean in real life living? And in Romans chapter 12, it's like, you know, the, the, the least you could do, the, like reasonable service is you need to present yourself to God to be used. Like whatever gifts that God has given you, you need to be using those things to advance his kingdom. Romans chapter 13, we see that there's an actual way that we need to respond to officials and government authorities. And then in Romans 14 comes this great big question of how do we treat each other? And all of Romans chapter 14 and the first seven verses of chapter 15 is this one big cohesive thought, how do we treat each other? This morning, we're going to work through that entire passage starting in Romans 14 and verse 1. It's traditional here on Sunday morning, I'm telling you, 90 out of 100 times when we read the Word of God, we stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. This morning, I'm going to read so much, I'm going to work through it, that rather than having you stand for seven or eight minutes while I read, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we're just going to work through the passage together. So let's open in a word of prayer. Father, this morning, we're grateful for the opportunity to come to your Word. Lord, we pray that you would move amongst us. God, I pray that you would be... Uh, continue the work that you're doing. God, I pray that you would save the lost. God, I pray that you would encourage the saint. Uh, God, I pray that you would um, help me, God, to rightly divide the word of truth, anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and teach us this morning what it means to be gracious, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get started. The first thing we're going to look at is three principles of being a person who shows grace to others. Number one this morning, the first principle we're going to find in verses 1 through 4 is to be accepting of others. So accept others even in their weaknesses. Look at the first four verses of Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything 
while the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Before I get to the principle of accepting others even in their weakness, I just want to point out that I think it's, I, I, I think it's interesting, I find it humorous that the Bible says in verse 2 that the weak person eats only vegetables. So if, if you've never, you've never uh, taken a scripture to memorize, that's a good one to start. It's an easy one to remember. Just, you know, Romans 14, 2, the weak person eats only vegetables. Easy to remember. You're getting some word of God inside of you there. Meditate on that. So, um, I actually want to provide context of what's going on here. Because through the rest of this, the whole day, you're going to see this idea of eating meat. So, here's what was really going on. It wasn't a sin, even in Jewish culture, to eat meat Period. There were certain meats they weren't supposed to eat. And so, scholars believe that what this, very, this specifically is about is that there was this argument inside the church about buying meat at the market because you really had no idea if the meat at the market had possibly been sacrificed to a demon god. So people would sacrifice their, you know, an animal to a demon god of some sort or in some devil worship, and then after the sacrifice, they would take the meat instead of just throwing the thing away, and they'd cut it up, and they'd take it to the market, and they'd sell it or trade it for other, you know, other things. And there were some Christians that were saying, well, you cannot eat any meat from the market because you don't know if it's been sacrificed to demons. And then there were some Christians that were like, oh, I can eat that meat if I want to because I've prayed about it and my conscience is clean and I think meat is tasty and I'm going to eat whatever meat I can get. That would be me. But there was a division in the church and division to the point that people were kind of judging each other like, oh, so you, 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 you're willing to eat that meat. You must not really love God. And as we walk through this text, what you're going to find is there are actually a lot of things people were disagreeing over. And what we're told is we are to accept one another, welcome one another. Consider that word welcome. It says, for God has welcomed him. Just remember that. We're starting out, first four verses. Remember that phrase, God has welcomed him. Therefore, we should welcome one another. Now, Paul's dealing with matters of of a conscience. And it's real important to understand that there there are a lot of things that we're just not going to agree on. And it's okay that as Christians, we don't agree on everything. Now, there are some things that are non-negotiable. Some things that the Bible is absolutely unmistakable clear on, and I'm not going to give you the whole list of all of them, but for example, it is a non-negotiable and it is indisputable. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin, 
lived 33 years on this earth as a sinless man, that he died in our behalf, physically died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of Father. Jesus said that no man comes to the Father but through him. And then in Acts, it's reiterated that there is no name given under heaven whereby men might be saved. These are, these are some of the non-negotiables. We can't have different opinions on those things because the Bible doesn't leave us room to have different opinions on those things. But there are a lot of things that we are, in fact, going to have difference of opinions about. And if I want to be somebody that shows grace to others, I have to be willing to accept others even in their weaknesses. Today's issues are not necessarily centered on whether or not we are eating meat sacrificed to idols. Today's issues are not necessarily about which day is holier than another day. We're going to read that in a minute. Our issues are different. Some of the issues are like what kind of TV can you watch? What rating is wrong for a Christian to watch? I had friends that believe watching rated R movies is wrong. And uh, it was interesting because years ago when The Passion of Christ came out, it was a rated R film because of the violence in it. I mean, it, it is, there's never been a film that more depicts correctly the brutal death of Jesus Christ. And because of the extreme level of violence in it, it, it's rated R. There's not a cuss word in it. There's obviously nothing sexual in it. It's just, it's violent what happened to Jesus. And it's an, it's an amazing movie. But because Hollywood gave it the rated R rating, I had friends of mine that they couldn't watch it. Their church wouldn't watch it. Their youth group couldn't watch it because of the rating. And these are the types, these are some of the things that, that we actually divide over and argue about. Can you watch stuff that's got, you know, this or that in it? Um, Christian music, uh, listening to non-Christian music. And what the Word of God is teaching us is that we need to be incredibly cautious not to judge one another because we have difference of opinions. And instead, we are to accept one another. You know, when I very first started catching this in my own life, it was difficult for me, and there was also something else that was very difficult for me in this passage to accept. The weaker brother is the one who thinks he's more holy. The weaker brother in this passage is the one who's abstaining. And, I, and this is just God's honest truth. First two or three years I was a Christian, I thought I was holier than everybody else. I thought I was holier than you because... You know, I didn't have a TV in my house. And, you know, I was holier than you because I only listened to Christian music and I didn't go to the places you go and I didn't do the things you did. And, 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 and so there was this real sense of I thought I was something special and I realized that I look back at that stage of my life, I was actually much weaker in my faith than I thought and I was grossly mistaken on what holiness is in the first place. And what the Word of God here is teaching us is that regardless of which side you fall, you need to accept one another. You need to welcome one another. Number two, the next thing we see in verses 5 through 9 is that you need to form your own convictions. 
but let others form theirs. Look at verses 5 through 9. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. So we are told that all of us answer to God, all of us as Christians, Christians, remember this is writing to Christians, that all of us as Christians, we, we live to God. And when I die, I die to him. Like, he's the one I answer to. He's the one you answer to. And so there's this real important principle in the back end of verse 5. Here's what it says. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this is an important principle here. You need to be convinced in your own mind. You need to have some convictions about you, and you need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to form your own convictions, but let each do the same. And so I want to encourage my brothers, I want to encourage my sisters to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling, right? We don't want to be flipping about this. You need to take it seriously. You're, you live to God. And when you die, you're going to answer to God. And so take this really, really seriously, but it's still not my job to form your convictions. That's your job. And you know what happens a lot for those of us that want to make disciples, we want to help. Sometimes it's not, we're not even being uh, mean-spirited about it. We just want to help people. And so what we do a lot of times is, is when we want to help somebody mature, we end up projecting our convictions upon that person. Here's what spiritualness looks like. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't hang with those people. And here's the do's. You need to do this. You need to serve here. You need to give here. You need to spend this much time in the Bible. You need to spend this much time praying. You need to spend this many days a week in church. And we've got our list of what spiritualism looks like. And we want to project that on other people. The right thing to do, and here's what the Word of God's really teaching us here, is number one, to recognize they don't actually answer to me. They answer to God. And so what I really want to do is I want to challenge them in a loving way to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling. I'm willing to give some principles. I'm willing to kind of tell you why I do what I do in my life. But here's the important piece, folks. What I want to do is push people to learn how to let the Holy Spirit lead their life. And what happens is a lot of times we're just afraid to do that because you know, if I've got this brother and I'm trying to help him grow and I want to see him mature, rather than letting the Holy Spirit do that, I kind of want to be the Holy Spirit so that I can streamline the process. But really, it slows the process up. So instead of teaching you to seek the face of God, hear the voice of God, obey the voice of God, be led by the Holy Spirit, instead of teaching you to do that, 
I just do it for you. And a lot of times we're just afraid that if I give you the freedom to let you work this out in your own life, you're going to make the wrong choice. You're going you're gonna to do the wrong things. And maybe, maybe they do, but this is actually part of the process of learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, learning to let the Holy Spirit convict a person when they've maybe made the wrong choice. But what Paul is telling us, what God is telling us here in Romans 14 is, form your own convictions, let others form theirs, but be fully convinced in your own mind. Number three, refuse to judge the motives and convictions of others. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, I want to talk about passing judgment here in just a moment. And um, I, I want to note that it says that all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. That's a, that's a really heavy truth. Every single person will stand before the judgment seat of God. So it matters that we are right with Him. It matters that I am in right standing with God because I'm going to give an account to God and I will stand to Him someday. That matters. And if this morning you're here and you're not right with God, nothing matters more in life. Nothing. There's not a decision you will ever make in all of your life more important, more crucial, more vital than coming into a right relationship with God. Nothing matters more. But here's what the text is teaching us, that all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. So who are you to judge another person's servant? Will you give me like five minutes to just kind of run on a rabbit trail and then work myself back home? So there's some confusion from folks that don't really know the Bible about understanding correct judgment and wrong judgment. There is wrong judgment in the Bible, and this is, we're dealing with it right here. Don't judge this way. But there's also correct judgment. And the difference, very important to understand the difference, the difference is always about motives. Always. Motives. I can judge that a sin is a sin if the Bible's clearly told me it's a sin. In other words, if I catch you lying, I can make a correct judgment that that was wrong, and I can hold you accountable as a Christian brother and say, brother, you've got to speak the truth and lie not. That's what the Word of God tells us to do. What I can't do is go beyond that judgment and assume you're a wicked person who doesn't love God because you sinned. There, I've gotten outside of, of my realm. I'm not God, and I can't see your heart, and I don't know the motives. I'm going to give you an example of how this plays out in personal um, uh, opinions. When I got saved, the first couple of years, 
I, I truly believe that it was a sin to go to any concert that wasn't a Christian concert. That if it, if it was a you know, country or a rock concert or a this concert or that, any concert that wasn't a Christian concert, it was a sin to go to. And I, I really believed that. And I falsely judged other Christians who would go to those things. And I think, oh, they don't love God like Joplin does. But there were others who judged me, thinking, oh, that kid just thinks he's holier than everybody else and blah, blah, blah. But here's the reality. This is what everyone else didn't know. Concerts were a huge part of my life during the most wicked years of my life. I went to about every concert in a 150, sometimes up, even up to Kansas City, 250-mile radius that I could possibly go to, except Aerosmith. I hated Aerosmith. I'm sorry, I just did. I felt like the guy sang like a woman, you know, like his voice. Just... Anyways, true story. So, but here's the thing. Concerts were a huge part of my life. I was a super wicked man. And for me, when I got saved, I just associated anything, any concert at all, where people gathered to have a good time. To me, it was the same thing that I used to do. And you better believe the Holy Spirit was keeping me from that in my life. And what I needed, I needed that period of time in my life. And so here's the reality. Most folks that may have judged me as being some overcritical zealot, they didn't actually know my heart, and they didn't know the reason behind the conviction. And you're going to find this is true with others. You might find that somebody um, has a deep-seated conviction against any alcohol at all. And then you're going to find that there's others that, you know, as long as someone's not getting drunk and it's done in moderation, they have no problem with someone having a you know, glass of wine with a meal or something like that. And literally, I've had this conversation with somebody before in the last 10 years that uh, knew about another uh, person in the church that was really anti-alcohol. And they were kind of just venting to me like, you know, that's legalistic, that's legalistic. But, but then I revealed to this person that someone in this other person, you know, this, the person that was venting to me, I revealed to him that, well, in this lady's family, somebody's died from a drug overdose. And uh, substance abuse absolutely rocked their family for years, almost a decade. And so she sees it a little different than you do. And all of a sudden, it was like completely they felt bad about judging that person for that. And, and, and all of a sudden, it was like, you know what, really, I need to honor that. And this is what's, re what's real important here is, guys, we cannot judge the motives of other people's convictions. You don't know what people have been through. You don't know why they form the convictions that they form. And so... Refuse to judge the motives and convictions of others. I want to finish with uh, three questions, like, like helpful questions. So I'm a Christian. I want to be a person that's seasoned by grace, 
I want grace to kind of be a mark of my life. So what are some questions I can ask myself kind of as a test? Like, am I seasoned with grace or not? When people are around me, do they feel welcomed? Do they feel, you know, loved? How, how can I know if I am a person walking with grace? And, and I want to answer it in uh, three questions. Number one, we ask ourselves the question, am I causing others to stumble? As our text moves on in verses 13 through 21, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you not destroy destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So, am I causing others to stumble? Here's the argument that uh, the author is making. So you don't have a problem eating uh, this meat that you've purchased at the market. Great. But if you know that this brother over here does have a problem with it, don't do it in front of him, man. Don't flaunt your freedoms to try to teach him a lesson. Don't invite him over on a Thursday night for a Bible study and then serve a bunch of stuff that you know he has a conviction against. Because that is destroying the work of God in his life. Don't do that. And it, there's this real important statement in there where it says, ultimately, that's not walking in love. That's what this is about. It's about loving one another. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about figuring out who's convictions you're holier than someone else's and who's more right than the other person. This is about walking in love towards one another and loving somebody with such a capacity, I want to build them up. I don't want to bring them down. I don't want to cause anybody to question their devotion to God. I don't want to cause anybody to, to, to question whatever it is God's put in their heart. It would have been like using the same example that uh, of me when I was a young Christian, not wanting to go to anything that was non-Christian, not wanting to, I didn't have a TV in my house for like a year and a half, and, and I was just all in, right? It would have been really unhealthy for me for some wiser Christian to come sit down with me and say, Joplin, your convictions are really off, man. Because number one, the Holy Spirit had actually dealt with me during that stage of my life. 
they would have been wrong. And number two, it would have been super confusing for me. So like then I would have doubted all my convictions. If I thought God didn't want me to do this, then I guess I don't know anything that God's telling me to do. It would have been really unhealthy during that stage of my life for the brother who had the uh, freedom to eat meat to sit down and argue with me that I should have the same freedoms he had. It just would have been detrimental to my faith at that point. And it would have really, in, in the t- wording of the text, it would have really destroyed some of the work that God was doing in my life. So, am I causing others to stumble? I don't want to be causing confusion to other people. Number two, the next question we want to ask ourselves, am I doing this by faith? Look what verses 22 and 23 say. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but... Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Does that whole verse... Yeah, leave that verse up there. Go ahead and leave that up there. I want to break this down. So we see whoever has doubts is condemned, notice, if he eats. Now remember, so far we've already been told that it's not a sin to eat the meat, but here it is. Why? It says because he has doubts. Now, this is one of the most important principles of this lesson that you've got to get a hold of when you're trying to figure out what are your freedoms? What are your freedoms? What can you do? What can't you do? Here's the, the most important rule of thumb. If you're not sure... Don't do it. It was said earlier in our text, let each be fully convinced. So here's the lesson. If you're not fully convinced that God's okay with this thing, don't do it. And notice that for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, if you go forward with it and you're not 100% sure about it, you don't have a conviction and a faith that this is right If you go forward with that, it is a sin for you. This is why he that eats while he's doubting, in other words, he's not real sure if it's okay to do this or not, to that man, it is sin. It's wrong. God says you need to get it settled in your own heart. You need to get fully convinced what is right and what is wrong for you and your family and your life and your relationship with God. And until you have that settled, don't do that thing. And so... Next question, am I doing what I'm doing truly by faith? And that word faith, the word faith and the word conviction in the Greek are very, very similar, and they have almost the same force. Conviction is something I believe in the depth of my soul that drives me. Well, faith is really very similar. It is a belief that brings about action. And so, If you don't have a deep, settled conviction about something that this is okay for me to do, don't do the thing. Don't do it. Hit the pause button. Don't go that place. Don't 
watch that thing, don't eat that thing, don't drink that thing, don't do that activity, whatever it is, if, if there's anything that you're like, I'm not real sure if this is right or not, the Word of God says don't do it. And if you go forward with the attitude of, well, since I don't know, I'm just going to do it, and God's grace will take care of me on the back end, the Word of God says, no, that is sin. You need to stop and think this thing through, and you need to get fully convinced in your own heart and your own mind before doing, going any further. And then finally, the last question you need to ask yourself is, am I living to please myself or others? So in Romans 15, 1 through 7, here we have the final conclusion, and it's really written to the mature, wise Christians. We who are strong. See, that's the mature. That's the strong. That's the wise. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we end all the way back where we started. Therefore, welcome one another. Accept one another. Paul says there's going to be a lot of differences. You guys are going to have opinions, things you don't agree on, and he still finishes with, that together with one voice, we can glorify God. It's possible for us to have unity and still not agree about everything. Unity is not uniformity. That's so important to understand. Christianity is not, you know, the whole cookie cutter thing where you just fold a paper and you cut it certain ways and you pull it out and you got all these things that look the same. That's not Christianity. We are diverse. And we are all at different stages in our faith. And we do have different convictions about personal opinions. And God says, when it comes to those things, accept one another, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I want to finish with that thought. I'm going to ask our worship team, if you guys would get in place. I want to finish with this thought. What does it mean to welcome others as Christ has welcomed you? Christian, just think for a moment. How has Christ welcomed you into his family? How has Christ accepted you? Nobody actually knows the answer to that. The, the, the full-fledged true answer. But you. You know your failings. You know how many times you've fallen. You know how many times you've been stubborn. You know how hard you are to deal with. You're the only one that really knows how frequently you have failed God. 
Now let me ask you the question, how has Christ accepted you? And the obvious implication here is that if Christ was willing to accept you into his family, how much more should you accept others? The same way that Christ has accepted us, we need to accept one another. I want to close with this word of um, caution. Being accepting and allowing people to form their own convictions, it's, it's not the same thing as modern-day tolerance. Modern-day tolerance, if we were to give a definition of what being tolerant means, what it really means in modern-day terms is forced neutrality. In other words, if you're going to be tolerant, you are forced to be neutral. You can't say that's wrong. You can't say that's right. That's not what this is talking about at all. This is about judging our brothers and sisters over personal opinions. It's not about sin. There are certain things the Bible clearly says are sin. There's nothing wrong with calling sin, sin. The Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. Being tolerant or being, in this situation, loving and gracious does not mean that we never speak up and that we never stand up for anything. This isn't about being a doormat and having no opinion about right and wrong. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You need to be fully convinced you need to form an opinion about what's right and wrong in your life. We just have to be careful not to judge others who form a different opinion on these secondary issues of what Christian living looks like. But this is not about just having no opinion whatsoever and forced neutrality. You can't, you know, that's not what that's, this is about at all. This is about not dividing over stuff God doesn't want us to divide over. The Word of God tells us that God is pleased when the brethren dwell in unity. What God's telling us here is, is don't let stuff that was never, ever, ever meant to cause you to divide over to become divisive. Instead, learn to honor one another, be gracious to one another, encourage one another, 